Hello, I'm Joyce. I'm June. And I'm Paula. We're the Kavanagh Sisters and we'd like to welcome you to our series of Countlyan Podcasts where we continue to shine a light on childhood sexual abuse and its impacts. In today's podcast, we will be looking at the psychological impacts of childhood sexual abuse and discussing how they manifested for each of us in our lives. As a child, were you aware that you were a victim or something? Well, I, I, I suppose I would have felt there was nobody to help me. You know, I used to pray to God to save me or somebody to save me. And then growing up dreaming that, you know, a knight in shining armour would come and save me. So, yeah, in that sense, I would have felt powerless and that would have equaled victim. You know, I would have felt there was nothing and nobody that could help me. Victim of something was a victim of a crime. If I was to think of somebody as a victim of something, I would have thought of somebody being robbed or beaten up. I wouldn't have equated our situation to being a victim of something. I don't think I would have ever considered myself a victim because when you look at the culture and the year we grew up in, it was the norm that adults had all the power. All I know that I felt as a child is I felt powerless and I did feel that everybody picked on me. I continuously felt sorry for myself and that was frowned upon. Like it'd be a bit like vanity, like that was like a moral sin. Yeah. I remember brushing my hair in the mirror and Mammy was saying like something about you're so vain. I didn't know what vain was. I remember trying to perfect my uh, signature because I never liked, I'm left handed, I never liked my writing. And I remember experimenting, trying to do nice squiggles, you know, for my name. And Mammy looking over my shoulder and going, that's vain. And I just remember thinking, it was like deep shame. Yeah. Over just trying to write your name nicely. Well, you see, I think vanity was... uh, Sin, a moral yeah. sin, it would have been looked on as a sin. But like in terms of victims, <coughs> yeah, Polly, you're probably right that we, um, we would, there was no visible signs of a crime, you know. And it's only a label because we had all of the hallmarks and we had all the feelings, but we hadn't got the language at the time or the understanding. So I would have never went to somebody outside the, as a child and told him I was a victim of something. No, well, I, I told a doctor once and I the words I used was uh, daddy's doing things to me. And June would have been similar in... I told a priest, yeah. You're right, when we were doing the writing and even in therapy, it took a long time to say um, he raped me instead of he had sex with me. No, because when you say that, he had sex with me... You're still part made, of it. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas he raped me... Is actually, I think it's the proper terminology. That's the language he gave us. Yeah. Because we were trained, groomed, conditioned, brainwashed, so young. We took that on. And turning that around was a monumental task. You know, people used to say, oh my God, he was so evil. And I couldn't comprehend how anybody could call anybody that I lived with evil. Because I thought, like evil, that's a big word. Like that's the name you'd put on some kind of a monster. And I couldn't comprehend that we lived with a monster. I wouldn't have seen him as a monster, but I absolutely thought he was a horrible, horrible, horrible person. I hated him with me heart and soul, but I clung desperately on to the hope, I suppose, that he wasn't all bad, that there was good in there. I had to convince myself that there was good in him, that 
he didn't realize what he was doing or or that he was sick or yes or there yeah. had to be a reason for it because i couldn't live if i did thought that there was no hope and it it is about it as a child you don't really understand what's going on so you don't see yourself as being a victim of anything like really you don't you just know you don't like it and you want it to stop and i think the only time i would have even heard i would have even heard somebody say about being a victim was the first time i entered therapy and they said you were you were a victim here you're innocent i think growing up i would have always felt hopeless that you know nothing's ever going to change here this is it now i didn't wallow in that but i know in my adult life i would have had the same feeling if i was in a relationship and i wasn't happy i would have convinced myself there's something wrong with me I didn't even give credence to the fact that this relationship's not working. doesn't mean there's nothing wrong with any one of you. And then, you know, I stayed in relationships longer than I should have because I believed this is as good as it gets. It was like a repeat feeling from childhood feelings just carried into my adult life. The fear, powerlessness and hopelessness, they, they were my three strongest emotions. And I wouldn't even recognize them as emotions well into my adult life powerlessness was was the one that would stand out if i think of myself as a as a child and also then as a, a teenager that sense of having no control over anything that was huge i don't think i'd even have been uh, conscious of that i definitely would have been more hopeless type you know that nothing can change it doesn't matter where you go things are going to be the same oh, well you see i always blame myself for not having any balls and any courage to just get up and run away that was a huge feeling for me as i really wanted to get up and just walk out of that house and never go back but i never had the courage and that was a big thing to try and live with chips i remember paula you saying you know that you'd be in long-term relationships and you'd be always thinking like if they would just sort them fucking selves out i'd be fine and I remember even hearing it and I, I, could, I could understand it and everything, but I was the same way. We, I landed in therapy several times with my husband and I remember um, going in the door thinking, I don't even know what I'm doing here. I don't think this is salvageable. I remember sitting in front of the therapist and saying, unless you can do something with him, <laughs> we, <laughs> we have no hope because I'm done. I'm not giving another thing. It's all on him. And when I actually got the opportunity to hear his perspective, I realized that we're exactly the same. We all want the same things. We may be coming at it from a different uh, experience or, you know, in a different way. And that does tend to happen with men and women. And uh, not to say that, you know, life is a bowl of cherries when you figure this out. You still have to navigate it. But I think, yeah, I put so much into everything that I do. I do, I feel the input that we give to everything is like we give 150% and you never seem to get it back. And I spent years and years now, a good 20 years, giving out in my head about my husband. And then I realised one day, hang on a minute. (laughs) I wouldn't even let him do the stuff I'm doing because I wanted that for me. I wanted that control for me. I wanted the house to be my domain. I know, but you see, there you wouldn't realize. That. No, you wouldn't realize it because, like human nature is, when you're in a relationship, your job is to fix that person, and that goes for men as well as women. Yeah, I believed if he cared enough, he would know. He would know, <laughs> because I knew what he liked. How come he couldn't bother his fucking arse to find out what I like? 
I would have felt I was a victim in so many relationships, not just in a partner relationship. It's the the lack of awareness, because I remember going in to the rape crisis centre and them saying, you know, you're, you're innocent here, you're a victim, you did nothing wrong, you're completely blameless. And it's how I interpreted that. The way that went into my mind was everybody around me was wrong and doing me wrong and I was never wrong and I was completely innocent. There was no one who could possibly win when it came to me because if they only asked me a question and they asked me the wrong way that I took it as a judgment and then sitting in judgment of myself meant I sat in judgment of everybody else. I know, but that all went on internally. So there was hell going on on the inside. Yeah, when you think about it, like you grew up knowing, one, it's not the right thing to do and it's not safe to express how you feel. We never unlearned that. So we carry that into our adult lives. You know, it was all the messages that we that we got about how women are supposed to be in the world and men. And we took all of that literally because it was the way we were reared and it was instilled in us. And we had belief systems that we naturally had to live by until we understood differently. In all of that, never dawned on any one of us that this has anything to do with our childhood. It's like when the abuse stopped, when he has stopped abusing us, we started. You think that abuse is something in there, in your past, that should be in your past. healed. But the realisation that it is actually, it's you in your entirety. It's not a little part of you that happened when you were younger that you need to go back and fix and heal. It's not. It's now. It's you. We, in our thinking, we thought, yet yeah, there is something wrong back there. But we didn't realise that it now represented us. I would have said, though, as an adult, I never saw, well, consciously, I never saw myself as a victim. But I know I felt people should help me. They should see what I'm going through and they should help me. And, you know, there's something wrong if they're not helping me. Because that is victim mentality. Yeah. I'm the same. I would totally relate to that. I didn't feel like a victim. But, yeah, I would have had that. Why is nobody saving me? Why is not Can nobody see I would have thought my outward behaviour was screaming to somebody, to everybody, going, can you not see the pain I'm in? And yeah, I never said a word to anybody. I never asked anybody for help. I never went to somebody and said, I'm really having a bad day today. But when you think of it and listen to the words that we're using and everything, we were so inwardly focused and not in a good way. It was like when we when we started counselling, the first things they say, you know, this is something that happened to you. Uh, you are innocent. But I was thinking, <laughs> yeah, I know, because that's the way I've seen it. To me, it was just words. To me, I actually believed when I heard all the things they said that, you know, this affects your self-confidence and all. I got this immediate vision that I was going to go in there, they were going to fix me and send me off and I'd be a whole new person. I never realised till I was in therapy for a year that I had anything to do with it. I didn't realise I had to play a part in being fixed when they spoke a lot about, you know, you're a victim of this and a victim of that, you know, like Paul, I would have never connected the word victim with what I experienced. I remember thinking, like, if I stop being a victim, I have to be responsible. And that word weighed a ton. It was really ironic because I was so responsible. It was incredible. Yeah. But it, the word and the, I, the notion that I had to be totally responsible for something, that was actually a big obstacle for me, mm. believe it or not. 
for me, we were doing a, a, a coaching course, a life coaching course. The guy asked for feedback, like, is there anything going on in the office that you need to talk about? Because it was true work. And I said, well, what do you do when you walk into a room and you automatically know there's an atmosphere that people are not in good form? And he turned around and he said to me, if you walked into a room and you felt an atmosphere, you brought it with you because it wasn't there before you got there. That was the moment that everything just fell into place and the realisation that, oh my God, I'm actually responsible for everything that I'm doing and everything that I'm feeling. That to me was actually the start of my life. For me, it would have been the same because I kind of realised um, that there was some kind of comfort I was feeling a bit like a victim. But there was a comfort in it because it meant I didn't actually have to be responsible for myself. But I mean, how could we not feel like victims, even if we didn't know what it meant to have no voice, no power, no control, no say in what happened to you? And like and understanding that when your abuse stops, that doesn't stop. I don't know. I think it's because it was our norm. One, because the way abuse happens and the grooming process. And two, because you feel you take part and are equally responsible. I don't care how well you're groomed and I don't care how well they play the game and build you up. And you are you've got all the other bits, the responsibility, the involvement. You've got all of that because now you've got the self-hatred and disgust and everything. But on some level, you physically hate what's happening to you. You don't want to. Every time he clicks those fingers, your heart sinks. That's so. not on some level, it's on every level. But that's what I'm saying. That doesn't go away. That yeah. didn't ever become so norm that you didn't mind those fingers ever being clicked. You always hated it. Year in, year out. So there was absolutely a sense of a victim from the get-go. Wherever you parked it, wherever you compartmentalised it with the abuse, you were a victim and you were aware of victimhood if you didn't know the, the word the word, even. Yeah. So you go through different stages and different phases where you could happily kill him. Other stages where you need a father, you need somebody. So you compromise and you you come up with a way. You know, and for me, my way would have been choosing to believe that he couldn't possibly know what he's doing how could anybody do that if they knew yeah but that sense you're talking about that we were absolute victims and there's no question about it and we didn't have the language for that but it's another thing we brought into our adult lives when the abuse stopped we remained victims on some level and again not conscious and it took Sometimes it was just a switch, like Paula says, that went and it dawned on her. Me, I kind of, I did want to be my own person. I did want to stand up. I already knew I took more than enough responsibility in my life. And yeah, that was the resistance. I didn't want to let go of being the victim because I was afraid of responsibility. But when I looked at my life and the amount of responsibility I you had taken anyway. on and was doing naturally. It was just, it's it's almost like, yes, we had been programmed. No, we didn't know the words for it. We didn't have the understanding of what was going on in our heads. But the program wasn't switched off when the abuse stopped. It continued through our lives. And unless I became aware of it, because only when I became aware of it, I understood and felt for the first time ever that I have a choice. It's the freedom that comes with the realisation that this can end. And there's layers 
of getting out of this just as there are of getting in. For me, one of the main layers involved in getting me out of it would have been the degree course that we took part in. And it was um, learning about er, uh, the Irish history and also about patriarchy and the control the church had over us, even though, you know, of course, I grew up with that. I knew that, but it was never verbalized to hear about patriarchy and all of the information that I was getting, just like pieces of a jigsaw puzzle clicked in place with my own experience of growing up in Ireland and together with the abuse I had like Oprah says the aha moments yeah that was powerful but again it just emphasizes the need to look back to examine your thoughts your feelings and mainly your beliefs like the main purpose of what we're doing here is anything we learn is to share because even listen to our stories hopefully you'll connect you'll realize you know this is for you or it's not for you but we understand and your world does open up you realize you're innocent and you realize actually what that means because somebody telling you're innocent just doesn't do it but if you actually have that feeling there's a way forward there's a whole new world opens up with you and that's the whole purpose of this The decision to heal from childhood sexual abuse places you on the most important journey of your life. You're in charge of this journey. Only you know what works for you and what doesn't. It takes as long as it takes because there's no rushing it and there's no faking it. You have to feel it. And just as the ripple of pain that you're in goes out and impacts all of those around you, so does the healing. And the more you heal, the more everyone around you benefits. Thank you for listening. Hopefully some of the information we have shared will resonate with you. This will give you a deeper understanding of yourself, plus allow you to move into a space where you can show compassion to yourself. Please know that no matter how you feel or how you reacted to the abuse, it was normal. We are hopeful and optimistic that those in any position of power to bring about change will be moved into action so we can finally eradicate childhood sexual abuse. So please spread the word and share the information. Thank you. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter or contact us directly on thecavanasisters at gmail.com. You've been listening to the Kavanagh Sisters Count Me In podcast. We're going to leave you with a quote which you can carry with you throughout your day. Listening to this podcast is a testament to your inner strength and wisdom. It indicates that you're seeking answers. The answers we're all seeking. Never lose hope or give up. You deserve all the good things that life has to offer. Don't struggle with it. Be gentle and kind to yourself.